Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share ways to enhance your relationships and debunk all of that bad relationship advice using science. I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm Dr. Jacob Priest from the University of Iowa. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods at UT Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, Texas. Today, Jacob's going to bring us something fun in pop and culture. Then in the academic deep dive segment, we're going to discuss an academic article called Bed Sharing in Couples is Associated with Increased and Stabilized REM sleep and sleep stage synchronization. Sleep. Mm, don't we wish we had more of that? Mm. And then in good or bad advice, we're going to discuss some advice yet again from the social medias. They're just an endless trove of speaking of advice. If you have advice that you'd like us to talk about, send it to us. You can email us at attachpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attached podcast. Or go to attachedpodcast.com and send us a message. While you're on these worldwide webs, surfing them as one does. Also, remember, we are now on YouTube. So smash that subscribe button and follow us there for video versions of each of our podcasts. So you can see our faces. I almost said lovely faces, but this morning, to be honest, <laughs> a little rougher than usual. But that's okay. No judgment. But... <laughs> Before we get to all of that wonderful goodness, how are you guys doing? We're doing pretty good out here in Iowa. You know, it's actually been really crazy weather. I don't know if y'all have had this this fall, but we've had like snow three times and then 60 and 70 degree weather. It like doesn't know what it wants to be. (laughs) Not had snow. No, No. but probably won't. (laughs) Hey, hey, (laughs) quiet y'all. Just because I live in the cold tundra of Oh, yeah, selling it now. Life choices. <laughs> but today, it's, like, beautiful. Like, uh, yesterday, we went on a walk around our neighborhood with our little dude who, by the way, can roll over. Oh, yay. Stomach to back and back to stomach. It's, like, oh you don't God, think that's going to be amazing, but, like, it, it pretty much is. Yeah. Perfect for snow angels. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know if I would like just throw my ch- like six month old child out in the snow, though. I don't feel like that would be like good parenting practices. I mean, put him in a jacket first. Yeah. <laughs> it's his first time. He's got he's got a little ways to go. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to live in Iowa, you got to be tough. So maybe we just do jacketless the first time. Just Yikes. plop him in the snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Great parenting advice. <laughs> yeah. For sure. <laughs> I'm such an experienced parent. Definitely take all the pa- your parenting advice from me. Woods, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Oh, did you mean to do that? Or is a that just owl, like... A little owl roker. <laughs> oh, those current pop culture references we're all looking for. <laughs> well, I feel like you'll be really proud of me. I've been making a lot of soups lately. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure how it's, oh, I actually am sure how it started. My, I was reading a book with my daughter where there's a lot of reference to soup. (laughs) Then I just started wanting soup. So in the last week, yeah, it it is. It's been well worth it. Actually, last week I've made butternut squash soup, but Mm -hmm. like really 
it's got this like hazelnut gremolata to go on top mm. and like these brown butter croutons. Mm. And yeah, it's amazing. And I also tried to make, I didn't try, I was successful at making baby bok choy beef what? soup. Yeah, it was also really, it also so got rave reviews. I know, oh I know. God. So I'm not sure what's next. Probably nothing for like the next start, five like- weekdays, but. We need to start sharing weekends. recipes on our on our website. I mean, this sounds amazing. It sounds yeah, incredible. It's, it's therapeutic. And then also there's like something so then again, therapeutic when you're like feeding people. Yeah. So and they like it. Yeah. Well, yes, that's important too. I always give the caveat, like if we don't like it, we can always order pizza, but that's because that's what my mom said growing up. Like, okay, here's a new recipe. And if we don't like it, don't worry, we can order pizza. Like, don't, nobody stress about this. Like we can just. Interesting. I always say, if you don't like it, just tell me what you don't like and we'll tweak the recipe for next time, but you're going to eat it. (laughs) We'll have a conversation about this, but. I don't remember. I don't remember ordering pizza too often when we were younger. So that's, that's a good point. I feel like maybe it was just, yeah, or like stress relieving, because that's how I say it now. Like, I don't, I'm not really going to order pizza. I guess I might, but it's more like, don't like, nobody hate on it too much. Just like, it could suck. I don't know. We've never tried it. Just, it's all right. Yeah. Fun fall activity. Fun fall activity. I love it. I love it. Soup is, it's the perfect time of year for soup. So now I'm hungry. (laughs) Yeah. 9 a.m. is a great time for soup. For those of you who don't know, we typically record on Sunday mornings. And this morning, I was eating breakfast with my family, as one does. And my seven-year-old as said, one as one does. And my as one should do, as science would say, mealtime yeah. is really important for families. Go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, all of those things. And my seven-year-old daughter said, uh, mommy, are you recording your podcast this morning? And I said, yeah, we are. We're, we're doing that. And she said, do you ever wear makeup for your podcast? And I said, not usually. I don't usually. She's like, maybe you should. Maybe some lip gloss. <laughs> I was like, okay. Ouch. Oh, she's looking so looking I out. put on some lip gloss this morning. It's already rubbed uh-huh. off, but I did it. <laughs> but your microphone is all glossy. <laughs> and I was like, but it was a good point. I was looking kind of rough this morning. I also brushed my hair. So you Woo. guys, styling. Science. <laughs> yeah, that breakfast was, that family breakfast was really worth it. <laughs> a mood improver. bonding family bonding first up pop and culture we learn about relationships from our friends and family but a lot of what we think about love and relationships come from what we see in pop culture for this first segment we'd like to take a moment to highlight events in pop culture that influence people's lives and how we view relationships jacob always Mr. Mysterious. What you got for us this week? Ooh, I like that nickname, Mr. Mysterious. Yeah, Jacob is known for his mystery. <laughs> man, of, man of mystery. So I have been holding back on talking about The Bachelorette this season because I think- No, don't hold was... back on us. No, no. <laughs> I didn't want any spoilers because I believe <laughs> this might actually be as Chris Harrison- often says the most dramatic season of the bachelorette the host of the bachelor and bachelorette franchise come on chris harrison get with the program so this season the bachelorette started out with claire claire now claire has been on multiple iterations of the bachelor 
and was actually engaged to somebody, I believe Francois and the Bachelor Winter Games, but we don't talk about him, right? Yeah. Sounds right. (laughs) Sounds about right. Anyway, so there's a lot of stuff going on with Claire this season, but I want to talk in particular about her first one-on-one date of the season. That way, if you're not caught up on the on this by now, like you're really far behind. So this shouldn't be a spoiler for anybody. But the narrative <laughs> It's not for me. <laughs> the narrative around Claire is that she is this strong woman who has done a lot of emotional work on herself. Oh, I, I think this is what we I, I would like to illustrate with this, right? Okay. Because on their first one-on-one date, Claire chooses this person, this guy who has probably had the most traumatic life of any of the contestants on on the show and she decides that she's going to be his therapist instead of his date so she actually makes him write down all of these words that people have called him on this like clay tablet and then they go and smash them to say they're breaking it down she like talks about emotional intimacy as telling me about your trauma and the bad things that have happened in your life now that really, if you're on a date with somebody, your first date with somebody, date. and they're <laughs> asking you to tell you about all of your all of the traumatic things that have happened in your life, I think you're not on a date. You're actually Run. in therapy and by not somebody who's a licensed therapist. <laughs> but I do think that this is something that people often do in a self-protective way. Mm. Often people who still feel emotionally vulnerable in order to say to to keep that vulnerability intact or to not show that are going to say well you're the problem and let's try to fix you right so deflect yeah that's what claire does right she's saying oh see i've got this all together i've done all of this work so let me show you how to do this work for yourself and when you're doing that when you're forcing an emotional exploration that is not typically what happens on date right like i don't think that on your first date you should be doing this type of thing it's really a way that can be self-protective and potentially damaging to the person that's buying into it right and in this particular instance claire actually has the power in this relationship she's the one that can decide whether or not this guy stays on the show or goes home right so she's able to say if you don't share with me emotionally you're going to get in trouble And again, that is not a real sense of intimacy and connection, but rather a way to create a one-up, one-down relationship where you get to remain the one that's got it all together and the other one has to have the problem. I mean, if I was in that situation, I would full-on make stuff up. It's also not really how the first session of therapy should go either. Just (laughs) that we're putting the right information out there. No, like... And so I just think that oftentimes you can actually see these one up, one down relationships throughout your life, right? And a lot of times the person that puts them up in the one up position has the power to kind of demand or want this emotional information from the other person, which in some ways keeps them in the one down position. And if you are, you know, in some relationships like parent child, there's going to be times when there's going to be one up, one down relationships. But if you're in a romantic relationship and there's this one up, one down perpetually you're going to end up in a really unhealthy relationship where you're going to have somebody who has the narrative that i've got it all together and i'm helping fix you and you're all the problems and you've got to fix so it was really 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 uncomfortable to watch it's not a partnership is it it's like no what you were referring to it's almost like a parent child relationship 
mm-hmm. with sex in it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like and it's very unhealthy. Super abusive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, so, of that. If you want to know what these relationships look like so you can avoid them, go watch the first one-on-one date of Claire's season and watch how uncomfortable you feel. Yeah. Because she's illustrating this demand for emotional intimacy so I can fix you which is never a good way to start a relationship. Never a good way to start a relationship. Yes, concurred. This season is really great. If you want to see a lot of drama and twists and turns and all sorts of craziness. So what Jacob is really saying is not great for relationships. Excellent for reality television. Exactly. And we're not paid by NBC. So that's just his honest opinion. Or Chris, Chris Harrison, whose name I now know. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I had already forgotten that. Hate. <laughs> now we're going to move on to academic deep dive segment and talk about an article titled Bed Sharing in Couples is Associated with Increased and Stabilized REM Sleep and Sleep Stage Synchronization written by a team led by Dr. Henning Johann Drews at Christian Albrecht's University Kiel in Germany. We're going to Europe, y'all. Recently published in the Journal of Frontiers in Psychiatry, this study explores an all-important and what I would love to have more of process of sleep and how sharing a bed with a partner may be an expansion of relationship interactions into the wee hours of the night. So what I'm picking up here is that we might be trying to explain why I'm exhausted all the time. Interesting. Prior couples sleep research has relied on atigraphy or actigraphy, which calculates sleep from body movements, like your Fitbit, when it lets you know every more if you got that full eight hours of sleep. Maybe I should get a Fitbit. These types of studies have found that co-sleep, so sleeping with your partner, is both associated with more disrupted sleep as well as increased sleep for men. How lovely for them. (laughs) They've also found that married couples who sleep together have longer total sleep time and less awake time after falling asleep than single adults. However, the authors pointed out that determining sleep from body movement alone is not the same as neurophysiological assessment, which monitors sleep stages. Sleep stages are critical for understanding what we gain from sleep, specifically slow wave sleep and even rapid eye movement sleep or that REM sleep, REM sleep, REM sleep, an excellent band, which is the deepest stage of sleep where dreams happen, is what we need to benefit our mental health. These authors also suggest that it may be important to assess synchronization between partners of their sleep stages, as we know from previous research that other kinds of interpersonal synchrony the matching of activities at the same time with other people while awake has been related to boosts in pro-social behaviors, social bonding, and positive effects. For example, so this synchronization of the timing and how you do things similar with your partners are related to other things. So perhaps sleep synchrony um, is also important. So Sarah, how do these researchers test the effects of couples sleeping together on their sleep quality? 
So I looked out, looked for this study specifically because I feel like we see so much, and I don't know if this is increasing or not, but we see so much communication or hear so many couples talking about intentionally sleeping separate. I feel yeah. like I'm hearing that more and more, reading about that more and more, people kind of promoting this idea that having your own bedrooms or your own beds can be kind of healthy and it's it's a, a reasonable alternative. And so I was kind of curious about what's the science on that because we had done some science in last season about couples and sleep. And this was a really recent study that I thought was really interesting. So this, and I, I'm referring to it as snuggle science. They, they did not refer to it. Oh um, but God. we need to start doing yes. that. Snuggle science. I love it. <laughs> That's, uh, it's not technically, it's not, they didn't assess snuggling. That's what it made me think of. So they, they had 12 heterosexual couples, which was included 24 childless key, healthy young adults. And I remember age. sleeping when I was childless. Wasn't it so, so lovely? Yeah. So nice. <laughs> now they're just rolling over in the snow. Average age of 23 and a half years old. Average. Oh, so they're young. Yes. They're, they're young, young, childless. Healthy, yep. Average relationship duration of almost three years. Who had a history of co-sleeping with the same partner, with each other, on the majority of nights per week for at least three months prior to study initiation. So bed sharing didn't start at like the lab, which is good, which is good. <laughs> Can you imagine? Okay, trying to get that past the IRB. So what we're going to do for the study is two people who just started dating, we're going to make them sleep together, just in the same bed. We're going to come up to a bunch of different wires and it's going to be amazing. So they had, they'd shared beds together for an average of 19 months for six and a half nights a week. I, I kind of wondered where that other night a week went, but the couch perhaps. So they, they were excluded if they had, potential participants were excluded if they had any shift work, if they were pregnant, there was medication exclusions, any disorders known to affect sleep, like depression or addiction, sleep apnea. That's, these okay. are these are healthy people coming. These are very world. healthy people. They're young people. Just yeah. good to know because it doesn't necessarily perfectly map onto a lot of the other couples in no. sleep research. So that's no. well, the sample doesn't. So that's that's really yeah. really important to know. Right. Yeah. This isn't sleep apnea. This is this is healthy right. young, probably beautiful, not stressed people <laughs> in Germany. I I don't know. It seems yeah. <laughs> interesting science. Snuggle science. Good for so these couples. For you <laughs> look at look at you participating in this study. So couples spent four nights on two consecutive weekends in the sleep lab undergoing individual mm. and dual simultaneous polysomnography. So their sleeping what? arrangement was what is polysomnography. Well, it's so it's all these different ways that oh, they're measuring sleep, okay, which okay, I'm going to okay. talk about. Okay. Yeah. Poly just meaning many, many? somnography, oh. meaning me- measuring sleep. There's a bunch of them. I don't understand all of them. I snuggle science. I just (laughs) snuggle science. It's snuggle science. So their sleeping arrangement was manipulated, whether they slept with a partner or slept alone, meaning every couple slept individually in one weekend and on the other weekend slept with a partner. But the order of that was randomized. Was random. Yep. So when they slept alone, they had their own single beds and separate rooms. But when they co-slept, they were on single beds. And I wrote, I'm sharing this level of detail. Yes, because... Because they're talking about co-sleeping, but this is the level of detail that these researchers go through to to clarify the kind of bed that they're in. I really wish they had concluded with, and we recommend you get this kind of mattress because I really feel like (laughs) I could use that kind of takeaway, but they didn't. So they they co-slept in single beds that were adjacent to each other. Two sheets and two duvets were used. And the cleft between the bed, quote, was bolstered so that a homogenous reclining area was guaranteed. 
It just made me laugh. I love it. Homogenously. But that's also very common in the, 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 it sounds super elitist here. But anyway, when I went to Europe in the hotels, that's very common for a big bed is two single beds two put beds. together. So I don't think well, it's, well, in the hotels, I think that's, that's normative. I don't think that would be normative in the States, but it's very, very normative. For my, maybe for, for your, for your experience of, of Europe, <laughs> that one's end of one hotel. Well, it I think it's also, okay. I think it's also potentially a takeaway. It's not what they intended to be the takeaways here, but if you ha- are having trouble sleeping with a partner in the same bed, maybe it's not necessarily about like switching your, your geography so much as it is about shifting your reclining area and getting That's your own true. duvet. Mm-hmm. So they had an adaptational. Get your own duvet. Get your that, own duvet. That is a marriage saver. Science right now. Science. science. They, it is in the science. Yeah. So the first the first night they slept, it was just to get used to the setting, and that wasn't included. But this the polysomnography. Here we go, Patricia. Full, yeah. full cardiorespiratory polysomnography. So many so many letters I and those it. words. Monitoring. <laughs> they use EOG and EEG for their. <laughs> Electrical brainwaves. I'm done with EOG. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> yep. Science. Science. Chin EMG to see, I think, the muscle tension in their oh. like chin ECG pulse oximetry. They looked at EMG, the, the muscle movement of anterior tibial muscles and respiratory parameters as flow and movements of the chest and the abdomen all to be able to code sleep stages, which was, mm. as, as you pointed out, Patricia, in advance of this study was that they're right. not just looking at movement in bed, like my Fitbit, which says, you slept for a successful five hours and 22 minutes. <laughs> You're just, whoa. They're looking at sleep stage because, because being able to achieve REM sleep is really the, the medically, the health relevant type of sleep right. you want to get. And then they looked at the coupling of sleep stages between partners. And they called this, cro- again, another term I wasn't familiar with, cross-recurrence quantification analysis, which was how they, I know, I know. That's how they studied the coupling of complex dynamic systems. So it was different layers of how their sleep was coupled, either completely synchronized, like the same stage of sleep at the same time versus getting at those stages of sleep with like a little bit of a time lag. And Mm. it's really so interesting. And then they completed questionnaires before and after every night of sleep, looking at relationship quality, how they felt, how refreshed they felt in the morning. Yeah. I'd love to complete that i was just thinking that if i was in this i would have thrown their data totally off like i'm not sure that i meet the qualifications to be oh yeah 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 no i don't i'm not young enough either (laughs) i'm not i'm not childless nor healthy (laughs) none of the basic descriptors no it's fine i'm happy for these people i really am so great for you no doubt they were paid also What they found was that people achieve better sleep with a partner. So couples that spent the night in the same bed showed higher percentages of REM sleep than those that slept alone. And their REM sleep was less fragmented. It wasn't broken up as much. Ooh, that's nice. Yes. And there was some effect of relationship quality. So individuals that reported, reported optimal social support in their relationship had a smaller difference between their percent of REM sleep between when they slept with their partner and when they slept individually. So there's some benefits of Mm. being in a higher quality relationship, even when you don't get to snuggle. Then they looked at that synchronization and they found that when they slept together, their sleep architecture 
which is such mm. a cool word, I know, was synchronized. So when they slept alone, about 37% of their sleep stages were at the same time during the night. And whereas sleeping together meant that almost 50% of their sleep stages occurred at the same time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the authors are suggesting that REM sleep, which helps with memory formation of like, especially Mm -hmm. emotional memories is also linked to sociality, like how we are Mm. connected to other people so that REM sleep might increase our ability and our readiness to quote, navigate the social world, creating this positive feedback loop that if we sleep socially with a partner, it enhances and stabilizes our REM sleep, which in turn enhances our ability to interact socially which is kind of an interesting hypothesis. Really cool. So it's lab-based. We've already critiqued the sample enough. I don't need to do that here (laughs) at the conclusion. It's just jealousy. It's just jealousy. That's a different study, being jealous of other couples. But they found that couples that sleep together sleep better. So it's possible that a takeaway is if you want a better night's sleep, snuggle with your spouse. It is two single beds. Two single beds with the reclining spaces. With two uh, duvets. Corrected. Right. Two duvets, two sheets, two sheets, two Um, duvets. Jacob, is there anything you'd like to say about duvets? (laughs) Yeah. You all didn't notice this, but off camera, my (laughs) wife heard me say that. She came in like, I hear what you're saying. I've been trying to get us to buy two duvets for so long, and now I have the science to support it. Oh, I'm so sorry, Chelsea. Chelsea. (laughs) You're gonna have to you're gonna have to fold up and put that duvet away every morning, so so it doesn't look doesn't look messy in there. That's not part of the science. I'm just trying to support your wife. I think another important takeaway is the effect that they're finding here of relationship quality on sleep. So it's potentially just another piece of evidence of how important it could be to invest in your relationship. I agree with that. Well, and I also think it speaks to this physiological connection we make with like partners and important people in our life, right? Like we think of sometimes of just kind of like this psychological or emotional, like I just like you, but really that's that's all connected to our bodies. And so they are all connected and they are all are part of this system in our relationship, right? And the better, you know, the better I get along with you, the better I'm going to sleep. The mm-hmm. better, you know, and I think it's just a cool cycle to think about that relationship satisfaction, relationship health, relationship quality can be beneficial mm-hmm. to not only like, to like how happy I am, but to how healthy I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this really maps out nicely with this uh, study we did last season about olfactory mm-hmm. smells yeah. and how people yeah. who smell their partner when they're sleeping tend to get better sleep as well. So this maps on, not only are we reporting sleeping better, but Mm -hmm. for all of these other reasons, it looks like we're sleeping better as well with our partner. Mm -hmm. With two separate duvets, of course. Yes, (laughs) thank you, thank you. That's science. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's exactly the take home, but sure. You do what you need. You oh, it's going to be the take-home in my household. Like, oh, the science <laughs> feels says. so bad. I feel so bad. Uh, caveat, that actually isn't the science takeaway, just for people. We know that we're joking. We're like, we know that that's not like the scientific take. Okay. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Boo! Woo-hoo! Yeah! And finally, time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice in our culture. We hear about relationship advice from our parents, family and friends. We see advice about how to be in relationships from movies and TV shows. And we read endless advice spewed at us on social medias, blogs, and all of those top 10 lists. But a lot of it just actually isn't good advice for our relationships. This is the part of the show where we use science, mind you, 
to decide if the advice is good or bad. If you have seen or heard some advice that you would like us to talk about, send it to us. Email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us, Facebook us, Instagram us at attachedpodcast or go directly to our attachedpodcast.com website and send us a message right from there. While you're at it, please like and subscribe to our podcast um, on your favorite podcast app and YouTube and share with your loved ones this podcast. So today we're going to talk about advice found on the social medias. The first one is from our very own Sarah's brother sent on the Twitters, I believe. The tweet is from J with two Y's underscore wealth. Good for you. Happy (laughs) wife, happy life is destroying many marriages. It should be happy spouse, happy house. Because a good marriage consists of two happy people. Good or bad advice? I'm going to say good advice. And the reason is, is because, you know, like the first happy wife, happy life really kind of is, again, putting that emotional labor on, you know, in a straight marriage on the woman in the marriage, which is not great, right? Like we've known from research that we've talked about on this podcast that women tend to do more emotional labor in straight relationships than men do. So I do like the reframe of happy spouse, happy house. Yeah. But with one caveat, like families take on many, many, many constellations, right? We often think that families are just like two parents and two kids when in fact, like family dynamics and and family structures can vary and have varied across time Mm. and will continue to vary across time. So it's not just about finding a spouse and making them happy in your house. The other with a mouse. Of, <laughs> the other members of the family contribute to the emotional happiness of the family as well. So I like the broadening out. I just think it needs to go a little even more, Ooh. even broader. Even broader. Woods. I love it. I love that takeaway. I think that's really, really super important. I was going to take it in a little bit of different direction, but I, I agree that it's, it's good advice that there was a really cool paper actually a few years ago that was called happy marriage, happy life, where they looked at whether marital satisfaction was linked to happiness and life satisfaction. And it's a huge, as we know, it's a huge correlate. There's a huge association there. And that doesn't differ by, by gender. Mm -hmm. So if you're happy in your marriage, you tend to be happy in life overall. And that's really, really important. They did find an effect where husband's marital satisfaction was that link to life satisfaction was buoyed or kind of boosted a bit if their wife also reported being in a happy marriage, but it was less, less the case if their wife said that their marriage was not actually very happy. So there is definitely a, a dyadic effect. I think that this advice is, I'm not sure happy wife, happy life is destroying many marriages, but I think it's good advice that we should frame that differently. So overall, good advice. Really A plus work, Tyler. We agree. We agree. And you guys agree. Wow. It only took my family to bring us together. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. It is your family. So the next one is from TikTok. Number one dad on TikTok is the account. They're talking about the book, The Giving Tree. Have you guys heard of this book before? It's a children's book. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. Okay, well, 
we know what your oh. opinion is now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> We're asking about this book. Giving tree, yeah. yeah. Did I you never, read it? I read it. I never. I'm glad I never read it to you when you were little. Have you read it? Why is that? Because if you listen, it's it's about a completely lopsided relationship yeah. where this tree just keeps giving and giving and giving. And this kid, he starts off as a kid and he's kind of innocent, but then he quickly learns that he can just keep taking and taking and taking and taking advantage of this tree that loves him and is willing to give him everything. And I mean, finally, like he's walking off with the tree itself. Yeah. <laughs> and even the stump. I mean, seriously, like, look at it. Like he, he's, the tree was happy, but not really. I mean, symbolically, haven't you known people who have been in relationships with, like, total users and have ended up like that? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to comment on it. Oh. So it's kind of a advice about uh, a book that we frequently read to, to children. I remember hearing this so so often as a child but this father is commenting on it and i'm wondering what you guys think if that's good or bad advice from the father not not the giving tree or 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 whatever you think good or bad advice i'm gonna say good advice that guy really is the number one dad (laughs) (laughs) right like i have similar feelings about the giving tree and i think this kind of talks expands on what i was talking about in pop and culture like Ooh, yeah. you're just in a relationship where one person is giving and one person is taking right maybe parents and kids that's gonna be how that is in the beginning but over time that should be restructured and the giving tree is just all about i'm just gonna give to you and i'm gonna give to you and i'm gonna give to you and i'm gonna be happy that's not really how successful relationships work right it's there may be times one person or one partner is giving more than the other based on circumstance but for the most part you want to see this reciprocal relationship where we give and take from each other right so i'm going to say number one dad good advice good advice woods yeah great advice sorry i didn't mean to kind of spoil that earlier but i genuinely think that book is so disturbing and what a lovely way for him to break that down for his daughter. That was so sweet. Yeah. Really horrible advice. Lopsided relationships are not, it's not sustainable. All you have left is a stump, a sad stump, a sad stump. Absolutely. Well, you guys, you guys did it again. You agreed. Let's see if we can go three for three here. Wow. I know Uh, this is from Twitter. I know you guys, something in this fall air at fact this is on twitter uh, said relationships last longer when you don't tell people your business good or bad advice oh here i come in on the fence a little bit right because Mm -hmm. i think you need context with that right like i think that there should be some healthy boundaries around your relationship right you shouldn't be every time you have a disagreement with a partner you know you don't want to run to somebody else and be like i can't believe this blah 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 right? A lot of times you should, you know, work that out together, learn how to deal with your conflict without triangulating else, somebody else in. But also there's going to be some times when you're going to need to turn to other people who are important to you in a way that allows you to kind of process what's going right. on and understand, you know, and maybe get more context to the, the disagreement you're having, maybe go to somebody who can add a different perspective that helps you kind of see where your partner's coming from. That can be really healthy. So, I mean, you don't want to have this really diffuse boundary where anytime you and your partner are having an agreement, you're running to somebody and saying like, oh, look, look, he's, he's so terrible. I can't believe him, blah, blah, blah. 
But, right. you know, it's also good to have trusted friends, relatives who you can go to and say like, hey, help me figure this out. Help me think about who are supportive of your relationship and your decisions in your relationship, but are a space where you can discuss and talk about what's going on. So good and bad advice. I think I think you're saying it's potentially good, but context is very, very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woods? I actually, I would have said the exact same thing. I, I, uh, I know it. I fully agree. And I actually, I think that that's, I think that's what science supports too, is that it's important for relationships to have healthy boundaries that do not over involve friends or family. And that's especially important in like new marriages, for example, right? That they have to navigate that boundary between their own families and how they're going to kind of create this partnership and the boundary between them. And that can be really tricky to do in new relationships and new marriages. And I think the reverse is also true or not the reverse, but the other piece that Jacob is saying is also very true that, and we've talked about this even this season in some of the research we've talked about that getting other perspectives and help having other people that you trust and that will value your relationship and help give you feedback that's meaningful can help reframe things and shift your perspective in ways that can be helpful for your relationship. So, and also I think about couples therapy too, that that's a version of telling another person business. And obviously I'm a big believer. So there's always uh, extremes to every uh, situation. And and, in this one in particular, the context is really, really important. And I just want to add too, in thinking about those extremes, if you think about Uh, an extremely abusive and poor relationship, one of the mechanisms that the abuser tends to use is isolating the other person. So making them feel like they can't talk to, to other people. So in these extreme cases, you see this used as a tool to perpetuate the abuse and the imbalance and power in in those relationships as well. So context for this one, I think we're saying is, is particularly key because it can go Either way, it could go good yes. or bad advice. Okay. Up next is another tweet from Twitters. I'm pretty sure that's what the kids are calling it. From at Prof Corey. And this professor, she's actually doing a quote from somebody else. So nothing I accept about myself can be used against me to d- diminish me by Audrey Lord. Good or bad advice? Nothing I accept about myself can be used against me to diminish me. I'm going to say good advice. Okay. I think that... Again, it's going to depend on what the context of this, I think, right? Like if you can accept what's going on and and who you are, if people try to attack that, there's going to be some stability, some acceptance of that, which is going to give you more of a connection, like not connection, it's going to give you more of a stable ground and stable footing, right? Like if, if we are afraid of something about ourselves and somebody points that out we tend to react to like i you know like that phrase i know you are but what am i right like there wants to be that self-protective piece but if we can accept that and understand that we are not inherently terrible or inherently good right that every person is a mix of all of these characteristics and we can accept that about ourselves we're not going to let other people come into our lives and be able to take us down to be able to diminish us right Mm -hmm. that said that doesn't mean that we are impervious to right. like really terrible relationships. If somebody is, comp- you know, like bullying you or, you know, like 
pointing out a flaw over and over and over and over and over again, like regardless of how much you've accepted that in yourself, it's going to wear on you. Right. So I think for the most part there, that self-acceptance, especially when it comes to healthy relationships can let, allow you to be less reactive and less defensive in conflict, Mm -hmm. but also in an unhealthy context, being like, okay, well, you can't hurt me is going to actually create a system or a pattern that can be not healthy for anybody. So Audrey Lord, I could probably never go against her advice. So I'm going to say good advice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what I hear you saying is that acceptance about yourself can buffer against those that that negative impact of diminishing you, but maybe not completely inoculate you from it. Yeah, I didn't want to use the phrase differentiation of self because I know yeah. that Sarah will disagree with me, but <laughs> that's kind of what I was going for there. Woods? Uh, so so Jacob is saying good advice with a few caveats. Woods, good or bad advice? So I would agree, actually. I think good advice <laughs> with a few ca- caveats. I know. From a little, a little tiny bit of a different perspective, maybe, or Love rather it. a different kind of reason, because I, I think acceptance is really important for perspective changing. And science would support that, that a lot of times people fight against what they don't like about themselves or what makes them uncomfortable or fight against their their stressors, right? That people will say like, why why me? And why is this happening right now? And I don't need this. And they, they will end up fighting against it. And it just creates more stress. Whereas accepting, learning to accept things about yourself or accept things about what's going on actually can make it easier to create change and promotes like psychological flexibility where then I can see Mm. myself differently because I've accepted did those parts about myself that then I can use as a platform to help advocate for other people that then I can help other people who I can help lift other people up behind me and I also think it's possible that I agree with Jacob it doesn't mean that people would not still try to diminish you for the pieces you've accepted for yourself and that that can that that can be really painful and hurtful and I don't think we should ignore that but it is potentially possible that it might be easier to see other people's issues when they try to diminish you and reframe them for how they're struggling and and then kind of trying to attack you for those things that you've accepted about yourself, which we should only do so much of, but is potentially kind of helpful in, in relationships. So overall, good advice. So thanks for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, or get us get at us on all of those wonderful social medias about any relationship advice you've received and that you're wondering whether to follow or pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it.